Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. What happens when a generation of people whose views are so much different at times than the generations before them become the next leaders? That's the question that we are talking about today in this interview. And I think that no matter who you are, whether you're young or whether you're old, you're going to find something of value in this interview and something that you probably hadn't thought about before. Now, one thing I will say is that these are generalizations, and you may find yourself as an exception to some of the things that are said today, and that is because you are an exceptional person. But at the same time, realize that we are talking about some large trends and some large ideas, and so take this and do with it what you will, but be challenged, be encouraged, and I hope that you enjoy today's episode. Our guest today is a highly respected expert on leadership and culture, fulfilling organizational and personal purpose, and generational paradigms in the workplace. He has worked as the regional managing director for Duke Corporate Education, leading the organization's business in Europe and advising clients on issues of adaptability, performance, creativity, and purpose. Before Duke, he was the executive director of thought leadership and learning solutions for London Business School. His new book, Next Generation Leadership, How to Ensure Young Talent Will Thrive with Your Organization, just came out at the beginning of February. Here is Adam Kingle. Adam, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. So I like to start off every single interview with a few questions that help us to get to know you better as a leader and give us some insight for our own lives. So you ready for these? Absolutely. What is some lesson, saying, or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? For me, it started very young. Some of the first leaders that I had were my teachers, particularly in high school. Um, I happened to go to a Jesuit um, high school where the motto, uh, it was an all boys school. Uh, but the motto was uh, to be a man for others, and uh, I think that you know that ethos of creating the whole person from the very beginning and not just sort of downloading information uh, to be regurgitated at at uh, at opportune moments um, was was probably the first influence for me about what leadership you know might mean uh, tied to the impact you wish to make in the world, being a whole person, thinking about you know ethics behind the decisions that you make, etc. Um, so, uh, yeah, it started, I think it started quite, quite young for me and I still find that I, um, apply a bit of that mindset, um, when I speak with CEOs today and, and even teach leadership. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is authentic, innovative, a change leader. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? Well, I think what a really interesting question that was posed to me by two of my mentors, Rob Goffey and Gareth Jones, still resonates with me today. And that is, why should anyone be led by you? 
I think that's a critical question that anyone who's in a position of leadership or has leadership thrust upon them um, needs, needs to ask themselves. So what is it about you that's different, um, that will excite people, and hopefully excite them to exceptional performance? Um, and I think once you kind of delve into the detail of that question, um, you force yourself to be quite introspective and you have to confront some of the questions of leadership itself. Like, what, why does it matter? Um, is everyone a leader? Are leaders born or made? And I think philosophically, it gets into some of those deep questions about what the, the purpose of leadership at all is uh, in this world. What is a book that you would recommend to leaders? Well, I, certainly that one, uh, Why Should Anyone Be Led By You, is, is also the title of, uh, of that book by, by Robin Gareth. I would also say The Future of Management by Gary Hamill, particularly because he makes the point that in a post-industrial revolution, possibly post-digital uh, revolution world, um, we need to think long and hard about whether the processes and systems and incentives of management today are still fit for purpose or whether we have to reinvent what it is to lead and manage beyond uh, cre the creation of bureaucracy. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? Well, most leaders and organizations today are still um, in older generations, be those Gen Xs like me or baby boomers. Uh, and I would encourage them to um, speak with their youngest employees and ask them some of those fundamental questions like, why do you think we do what we do? Um, describe your ideal leader. And possibly even the vulnerable question, could you give me some feedback? <laughs> and finally, we have our arbitrary but insightful question, which is this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? <laughs> uh, I think why not? And maybe that's because that, that uh, reveals my... Um, creative spirit. I think a lot of what holds us back, both as organizations as in humans, is we, we automatically assume that there are limits and limitations to what we can do or what's possible, and we don't question those assumptions. Well, Adam, we are here today to talk about your new book that's just been released called Next Generation Leadership, and I'd love for you to start off today's interview by telling us a little bit about the book and what it was that led you to write this book now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this journey started 10 years ago uh, when I was directing an open enrollment executive education program at London Business School. At the time, it was called the Emerging Leaders Program. And as the name implies, it was for people who were in leadership positions for the first time. That meant that almost everyone on that program were relatively young. They were in their uh, 20s, a few in their early 30s. Um, and what I was learning in conversations that I was having with them, as well as from their sponsors, their corporate sponsors, is that they thought about work and life and leadership and careers and organizations differently from other generations. Um, so I really wanted to get under the skin of what was behind that. And I also wanted to test uh, a hypothesis, which was, is that just life stage? In other words, oh, we were all like that when we were young, <laughs> or was there actually something more fundamental? So I started surveying these cohorts going through this program. There were two cohorts a year, uh, and I surveyed them for five years, five consecutive years. And then I followed up with qualitative interviews uh, with, with um, select people in that group. I was just asking them for explanations behind some of the answers that they gave. That I didn't think that was going to be a book uh, originally. I wrote some articles about it, did some 
corporate talks, keynotes, et cetera, on, on it. But uh, after a while, I thought, you know, there's enough here that I think this represents an even more fundamental question other than, A, do they think differently about life and leadership and work? Okay, that's interesting. B, how should we therefore lead our, the youngest generation in the workforce differently? But most importantly, this is where I got to. C, if those paradigms are in fact genuinely different, then surely when they assume the C-suite of their organizations, they will lead those organizations in seismically different ways. So really my journey became one of exploring the future of work. And of course, once I knew that was going to be a book, I started interviewing organizations, HR directors, uh, leaders in C-suites of organizations to get their reflections. Uh, So I sort of had all the perspectives on this um, new generation in the workforce, leading a multi-generational workforce, and also how work is evolving. Because certainly we all we, we see a lot of literature on how technology is evolving, um, processes, et cetera, but we don't really get a lot into how the way capitalism is practiced, how that evolves. And I think if you want to get a sense for what that evolution is going to look like, then I think a pretty good perspective is to start with who our future leaders are and ask them uh, about the type of leaders that they would hope to be when they're leading our organizations. So we're talking about the millennial generation here, which I am a part of, also known as Generation Y. And it seems like as we move forward in this conversation, the most helpful thing to to begin talking about are what are some of these paradigms? Because as we understand, as you said, you know, it's it's helpful to understand these different views of life that millennials have. And then you need to understand how to lead people with those different views. But then finally, assuming these paradigms are different, how are the future leaders going to be leading things? So it all seems to kind of hinge on this question. What are the paradigms that Generation Y or the millennial generation are bringing into the workplace? Right. Yeah. So I think that the first one that I hear more, probably more than any other is uh, that millennials or Gen Ys seem to be less loyal to any particular uh, you know, organization that they work for. So uh, one, of the, one of the first questions that I asked in my surveys uh, is, you know, how long do you expect to work with any given organization? You know, like when you join a company, what does the little voice in the back of your head tell you in terms of how long you would plan to work there, how long you would expect to work there? Uh, just to see if if there was some validity behind this this point of um, employers saying, well, they don't seem to be particularly um, loyal in terms of staying with one organization for any length of time. Um, and here, the results were were pretty astounding. Ninety um, percent of the respondents said they were really weren't planning on staying with any given organization for more than five years. And over a third, 37%, said they weren't planning on staying for more than two years, right? So <laughs> let's just, just just to emphasize that point, over a third said they were pl- not planning on staying for more than 24 months. Um, so that was incredibly interesting. And what I would what I would add really quickly at this point is it is not their fault, right? And um, sociologists, going back as far as Carl Mannheim, have said that you know a generation is shaped by its social context. You know, there's nothing genetic going on, right? People people's paradigms are 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 sort of become hardwired 
in their formative years. And the formative years for millennials or Gen Ys was the Great Recession, was was one of those kind of pivotal moments. And what did that tell them? Well, it told them as they looked at their parents or their older siblings in the workforce, lose their jobs, lose their pensions. The, the hard lesson was a company is not going to look out for you. You've got to look out for yourself. Um, what they, and coupled with a, with a biological difference in this generation versus other generations, that they know they're going to live for a very long time. You know, there's a wonderful book out there now uh, called The 100-Year Life by two London Business School professors, uh, Linda Grattan and Andrew Scott. And they said, if you, if you look at developed countries today, over 50% of the babies born in those developed countries are going to live to be over 100. And in some countries like Japan, it's like 107 or some ridiculous <laughs> figure like that. Well, if you think about that, if people are going to live for an incredibly long time and their pension schemes have completely fallen apart. Mm-hmm. Not, it, it didn't begin in the Great Recession, but that certainly um, uh, accelerated that process. Then what is a job or an employer? It's an opportunity to develop yourself, develop your adaptability, develop your ability to self-realize. But this idea, kind of the IBM company man, you go to one you know, company and you stay there until you get your your uh, you know your golden goodbye and your pen and your defined benefit pension with which you can sail off um, into retirement indefinitely is dead. It's just a dead concept. So you know when when companies sort of roll their eyes and say, yeah, millennials they aren't that loyal. I, you know I have to look at them you know quite hard and say, yeah, but it it's more your fault than it is theirs that they're they're simply responding to the environment in which they found themselves when they entered the workplace. And the truth is the previous generations also had to make the decisions that they've made that have influenced millennials uh, because of situations that they couldn't always directly control. But one of one of the things that I'm wondering now is, does it seem like Generation X and the boomers and other generations hold the same values or is there some variation between them as well? Is it all the previous generations versus millennials or does it seem to be that there's variation within other generations as well? Yeah, that's that's a really interesting question. Well, I think for me, probably the biggest influence in uh, the influence for me on generational theory came from these two guys named Strauss and Howe, and they've written a number of books uh, on this, and and they they made the point that. Um, so first, a every every generation is 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 um, sort of hardwired by its social context and political and economic, etc. And and that Im- immediately implies there are going to be some variations, some dramatic, some subtle, uh, between every generation. But when we talk about paradigms of millennials, um, I think those are more dramatic, and therefore there are you could sort of group, I think, a bit of millennial slash Gen Y paradigms, and then all older generations still in the workforce today. So X's, boomers, et cetera. That said, I would say probably Gen Y, so a lot of Gen Y paradigms are closer to uh, many generations ago, right? Before there was this idea of large companies hiring many, many employees, um, you know, and, and that it was implied you would stay there for your for your whole career. We'd have to go back over a hundred years to see that. But I think some of those paradigms that existed um, you know, uh, maybe at the dawn of and just before the Industrial Revolution is probably closest to some of the paradigms that we see now um, in, in Gen Y. I think it's the most dramatic difference with Gen Y or millennials and then the other generations, which I'll group together, boomers, Gen X, silent generation, 
is that what Gen Ys are looking for in companies, what might encourage them to apply, what might encourage them to stay, are mainly intangible benefits. So what do I mean by that? Well, when I was going to college, you know, most people were going into employers looking at criteria such as salary, um, promote, what, you know, what's the promotion opportunity, what's the ladder, what's the career ladder here? So like a partner you know, in a law firm or a consulting company, you sort of see that path. Um, today, for Gen Y, the three most important things that they're looking for are their opportunities to develop you know, themselves, um, which aren't necessarily promotion when I say development opportunity, uh, two, the organizational culture, what does it mean to work here? Uh, and number one was work-life balance. Now, certainly my generation, it was just implied, right? Work-life balance is just not a thing, particularly when you're younger, you know, it, there was the idea of pay your dues. That's, that is a paradigm that absolutely is shared by baby boomers as well. I think absolutely shared by the silent generation uh, before them. But, you know, w- w- work-life balance being the number one thing that people are looking for from an employer is a dramatically different concept um, and I think creates some of the the greatest generational tensions in the workplace today. I want to at least briefly touch on the topic of what it looks like to manage this type of employee that is maybe not quite as loyal and wants some intangible benefits that that others may not be thinking about. We've touched on this topic before, but you seem to be an expert on this topic, and I would love to hear your insight on what it looks like to manage the millennial generation. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I think it is really important, right? Because I, I don't think anyone doesn't want people to feel engaged with work. And you know, no manager wants their people to think that they're bad managers. Um, but that implies some adaptability, some some aspect of giving people what they need from your leadership act. I think leadership can no longer be an act of imitation. In other words, well, how do I, what kind of leader am I going to be? Well, I'll just think about how I was led and that's what I'll do. That's what I'll imitate. I think that worked for a while and probably even worked for a couple of generations, but it doesn't really work anymore. So how does one lead millennials? Um, what I'll say is that I'm generalizing here, right? So I'm sure there'll be people listening to this who'll say, well, that doesn't work for me. And you know, that's completely valid. I, w- the problem is when, when you research and talk about generations, you are generalizing. And I appreciate that and I acknowledge that. But at the same time, I would say if you can think of exceptions uh, to some of these um, insights, even if those exceptions are you, that the exception is you, don't dismiss it out of hand, um, right? Because what I'm trying to find is what what are the broad trends that are so. So work-life balance. First of all, let me just talk a little bit about work-life balance, because here I think we have semantic discord between generations. So Gen Y, when they're saying work-life balance, and this came through in almost every interview that I did, when millennials are saying work-life balance, they mean, you know, technology allows me to work pretty much anywhere, anytime. So this concept of FaceTime, right, nine to five, chained to the desk, is dead. The concept of you can't leave until the boss leaves the office is dead. Now, of course, technology also means we work all the time. So, you know, sitting at a desk for eight plus hours a day, five days a week, is just nonsense anyway, is an indicator of how long you're working. But when Gen Xs and boomers hear work-life balance, they think of that t- totally just in terms of hours, 
So in other words, if someone comes to me as a manager and says, you know, I'm looking for a greater work-life balance, the problem is I immediately interpret that as saying, oh, you want to work fewer hours, you're lazy, you don't want to put in your dues, I had to put in my dues, why aren't you going to do that, et cetera, et cetera. But actually, we're talking about two different, you know, two different things, where versus when. We see these trends already happening in the U.S. You know, over half the workforce are, are millennials. It's going to be 75% of the workforce, I think, in, in, in just five years' time. And 75% of that group work from home at least part of the time. And I don't think you could say that there's a drop in productivity if you look at different generations. I, I think another important uh, element is that employers need to do a much better job of encouraging their young employees to pursue projects in terms of developing them as people, as employees, as leaders. We don't use projects enough. And of course, more and more of the way that work is organized is done through projects. So, you know, the, so what, what am I saying here? Well, a lot of people are saying the problem with millennials is that they want a promotion every, you know, six to nine months. And that's just impossible because we only have five layers in the organization. Yeah, but you have lots of ways in which you can develop people beyond promotion. You, you, you can send them on an international secondment. You can give them a shadowing project. You can have them work on a more senior client project, et cetera, et cetera. That doesn't cost you anything, and you're automatically adding learning and injecting learning and development a, a, to a greater extent in your organization. The other point is related to side hustles. I find older generations are quite skeptical of people pursuing side hustles, like it implies they're taking their eye off the ball, they're not, um, they're not loyal, you know, they're not focused. But of course, there are all kinds of side hustles that add insight, whether it's direct or peripheral to the way a company adds value. Uh, you know, a side hustle might help you to understand how to acquire new customers. It might give you insight in terms of how to better uh, be a, a stakeholder in the community in which you operate. You know, might allow you ways in which you can consider how to better utilize social media to enhance your brand or increase sales, etc. But when I find employers are kind of dismissing side hustles and discouraging side hustles out of hand, the problem is they are decreasing the, the, the organizational aperture of how it views the world. It becomes more internally focused. The more you can encourage your people to look out Look at look at new customers. Look at new partners. Look at new ecosystems. Surely that's a better thing. And there are companies that have encouraged this in one way or another, often through giving their people time. So there is Google's famous twenty percent time, which even though that's declining, even in Google doing that, you know that was a very productive thing. It led to Gmail and other very highly you know commercial successes for them. Three um, M before Google had uh, time where their R&D people could pursue their own projects, um, which, you know, led to you know, famous inventions like the sticky note and things like that. Um, but, the, but again, this leads us back to this idea of FaceTime, that if, if we're not controlling and managing and knowing what everyone is doing for every minute of the day, then somehow we assume that it, that can't be productive. I take a different view of that. I think, you know, if you give, let's say, 100 of your employees a day to pursue personal projects, it is tr true that it's possible five to 10 of those people are going to spend that day playing golf. Given that, if the other 90 are pursuing things that are going to lead to the next Gmail or the next Post-it note, overall net, that is a much better thing for your organization. It enhances your innovation culture. 
It increases your, as I said before, it increases the aperture, sort of your view of the outside world. Um, it might enhance your ability to be a, a, a greater stakeholder in the society in which you operate, which is increasingly important for companies today who are demonstrating their purpose or their relevance to the world beyond shareholder value. So those are just a few things that I think are, are, are you know, super important in terms of how, how to think differently about what it means to be a good leader today. Um, which is beyond a sort of you know bureaucracy-led Milton Friedman sharehold. It's all about shareholder value um, perspective. And don't get me wrong, you know I, I, I'm not a communist. I, I uh, but I, but 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 surely I think leadership is more complicated today because the purpose of business today is more complicated, or at least I should say has more stakeholders. Now, let me ask you this, and this is probably something that you can't answer based off of data. This would be more your opinion, but do you think that as millennials continue to become leaders of organizations, that their perspectives will change? Because it's easy to want the flexibility whenever you're the person who is the employee who's being asked to sit at the desk. It's a little bit different whenever you're the one who is in charge and you're having to oversee those employees. Do you think their perspectives on flexibility and things like that will change as millennials continue to become leaders in organizations? Yeah, it's a good question. And I, I gr- group that and similar questions into the, to the life stage challenge, which is very valid, right? In other words, as people get older, will their priorities and the way that they manage change? And ultimately, will they become just like us? us in this case, I'm talking about me as a Gen X. Um, and I think the answer is is no, um, for a number of reasons. Um, one is the way in which we define business is inevitably changing. The way in which we talk about leadership, whether it's literature in the classroom or in practice, is actually changing. I only have to look at, for example, the the CEO business roundtable in August, where you had you know. Boomer and Gen X CEOs of major organizations like J.P. Morgan Chase, you know, Apple, etc., saying businesses have a wider purpose beyond maximizing shareholder value. Um, and one of those stakeholder groups are employees. So how we think about the partnership that the social contract between employer and employee is evolving, and even you know, Gen X and Boomer CEOs are acknowledging that fact. Um, so, uh, so, so I think there, there's more there's more going on here um, that will that will create new trends in the way business is practiced that won't slip back, as it were, um, once our youngest youngest employees get older and become our new CEOs. Um, and you know what? I'm an optimist about that. I think that's a good thing. And I don't even think profits will suffer as a result of that. I think it, as we, it, we, we now have enough time and perspective looking back at the Great Recession of 2007-8 that you know, we know that a lot of what happened there was companies were taking their eye off the ball in terms of how they genuinely added value, right? How, who are your customers? How do you better serve them? How do you use insight about them to give them things that they want and need? Um, you know, com- companies were becoming driven 
by serving the analyst community, like quarterly forecast reports, et cetera, versus why are we in business in the first place, um, which has much more to do about the interface and the interaction between people who want to buy things and people who have something that they want to sell. Um, so, uh, so you know, I, I think the, these are good things, and the and there isn't a trade-off between new management, between being innovative, between you know flexibility and creating um, margin and profit in an organization. It's interesting from your answer because it does seem that a lot of the changes that are happening are cultural. And it just so happens that there are younger people who are growing up into this culture and into leadership from this culture, which affects how, how organizations are led. And I want to go ahead and turn for the last few minutes of this interview to what it will look like in the future. I know you've just touched on it a little bit, but what it will look like as the millennials become leaders of organizations more and more. And the truth is, this is already happening significantly. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook is a millennial. We even have a few people running for president this year who are millennials. So it's possible that this nation could potentially be led by millennials, if not in 2021, then in the very near future. What does this look like? In some people's minds, it's the end of the world. What does it actually look like in your opinion? <laughs> Yeah. Well, there again, I'm a huge optimist because I think a lot of these paradigms are critical for um, for the sustainability of not just companies, but of society, as you, as you alluded to. The, the, one of the last questions that I asked um, my uh, Gen Y participants on, on, on my program 10 years ago is, what kind of a leader will you be? Right? What is your mantra? What's the kind of totem that you will keep in your head uh, as you lead organizations? The number one answer that they gave is it's about renewing personal and organizational mission. So in other words, what they said is, as leaders, one always has to articulate and make purpose real. Um, and that purpose focus um, is useful for companies in order to demonstrate why they do what they do but you know all it's also useful in terms of attracting the right customers and the right investors to your cause so you mentioned mark zuckerberg you know i think when when facebook went public when they had their ipo um mark zuckerberg's letter to potential investors was a really interesting one he didn't do the classic. This is the this is our profit forecast. You know, it's a it looks like a hockey stick, um, and therefore, you know, we're going to make you lots of money, so you should invest in us. Essentially, Zuckerberg said, whether you could agree with this or not is a different question. But Zuckerberg said, Facebook exists to serve a purpose. It's about creating communities. It's about connecting people with uh, other like-minded people. And, and if you believe in that mission. Then maybe you would consider investing in in this company. And investors, early investors, once Facebook went public, were richly rewarded for buying in to that articulated purpose. In fact, I think early investors doubled their money every year for the first three to four years of Facebook's existence. So again, this goes to my point that purpose and profits. Are, is not a zero-sum game, and it's not a trade-off necessarily. I think also taking that wider view of stakeholder view um, is really important for organizations because organizations, of course, have a greater and greater influence 
on society beyond the corporate estate, as it were, right? For example, as you know, um, organizations provide a lot of the social um, networks and community that we used to get from some other elements of society, you know, where whether that was religion, whether those were, you know, community works, whether that was local government or civic structures, whatever that might be, more and more of our lives um, are, are, in, are wrapped up into uh, organizational life, corporate life, um, whether for good or for ill. But I think also co- companies are and have to respond to that in a way in which we they serve a greater purpose. So, of course, the CEOs of the future have to acknowledge that and have to hold that purpose tightly and live it, right? So that has to be demonstrated in the behaviors of people as human beings rather than just words on a page or, you know, a hastily composed vision and values, which is the result of a, of a you know, consulting project with an ad agency, but something authentic. In that way, we get better role models in society. We get people who might have a, feel a greater sense of adherence and longing to be part of a given organization. Um, and, and companies can be a greater force for good in society, which that business roundtable, let's see, a roundtable back in August said, is part of the point of, of why companies exist. So I just go back to my original conclusion that I'm a great optimist about um, the millennial CEO, um, that you see shining examples of those already, um, both in government and in, and in companies, that I think are a reaction to and possibly even a small rejection of the way in which we have led in the past. Um, there's nothing wrong per se with the way we've led in the past, but we've moved on. And so we need a different perspective to reflect the environment in which we find ourselves today. And that ha- that is a more holistic perspective. Uh, and I think it's it would only be folly to reject or resist that out of hand and instead ask, well, why not? What do we have to lose? What do we have to gain? I think if we look really honestly at those questions, what do we have to lose? What do we have to gain? And sort of, you know, make your lists and weigh those lists. Um, we'll find that in many ways, the paradigms that Gen Y have been articulating, which is simply a response to the environment in which they grew up, are telling us that work life doesn't have to be a choice between I work to live or live to work, that actually I can make work life a life worth living. Well, Adam, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing your optimism with us. I would love for you to share with the listeners where they can go to buy your new book, Next Generation Leadership, and to learn more about you and the work that you do. No, absolutely. Thank you. Well, it's a great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for the time and, and the wonderful conversation. Luckily for me, HarperCollins is is a is a major publisher. So I hope uh, you know the the old adage is true that I hope that you would find it at all good bookstores near you, and certainly any major online retailer as well, be that Amazon, Barnes and Noble. But also, I would encourage you to support your independent booksellers as well and go to them. And uh, there's more from me uh, and the book and where to find it on my. My website, which is very easy, adamkingle.com. And if, if those of you who are listening outside of the US, 
Um, online retailers might have slightly different release dates, uh, but it's all going to be on or around February, March 2020. Adam, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. And like I said at the beginning, I hope you were challenged by it, but also encouraged by what the possibilities for leadership in the future could look like. Now, there are a lot of things that I would like to highlight from this episode, but three that I've selected for today are, first of all, really thinking about how the different paradigms that young people have today, how they are going to be shaping tomorrow's leaders, how they're going to be shaping the leadership of tomorrow. What do these different paradigms look like as leaders in organizations bring these new paradigms and these different paradigms into leadership roles. I really think that that is an idea that's worth thinking about for your organization. And here's the second thing. Many millennial paradigms are most similar to some pre-industrial revolution generations. And really, I think this is a helpful realization. And that is generations are changing all the time. We look at a young generation and say, They're so different than anything we've ever seen. And you look back 50, 60, 70 years, we didn't have anything like this back then. But the truth is, we have all sorts of trends that are recurring over the course of hundreds of years. And so we think that we're experiencing something we've never experienced before. And to some degree, we are. But there are so many recurring trends, whether it's the relationship we have with work, whether it's the age people are getting married, whatever it is, we have these trends that if we take a short perspective, we're going to think that something really bad and negative is happening. Maybe it is sometimes. But really, we're dealing with trends that we've seen before. And even when this isn't the case, let's face what's new and turn it into the very best that we possibly can. And the final takeaway for today is that one of the key priorities and mantras for these next generation leaders that Adam was talking to was the idea of renewing personal and organizational mission. And I do think that if the leaders of tomorrow, and that may be a big if, but if the leaders of tomorrow are keeping their personal and organizational missions at the forefront, then there are good days ahead for many organizations. If you like what Adam had to share, be sure to go check his book out, Next Generation Leadership, and go to his website, adamkingle.com. Reach out to him if you would like to have him talk about how to help young talent thrive in your organization. That's adamkingle.com, and Kingle is spelled K-I-N-G-L. Now join us for the second episode this week when we are talking to someone who has a great message. He is saying this, if you want to succeed in business, be the type of person that gives first. He tells you how to do that and how not to wear yourself out in the process. I hope to see you then, and until then, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, 
is a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now, or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon, and until then, keep living and leading well.